Remember back when you were in high school and you were supposed to make these huge life decisions about where to go and what to do with your life, but you actually had no clue yet. Yeah, and it wasn't just about where to go to college or what to do for work. All those questions were actually about who you are and who you want to be. Well, what if there was a way for students in high school to get clear about all those big questions in life, about their identity, their purpose, and their core relationships? Welcome to the Musical Podcast, where we believe inside of everyone is a great story waiting to be told. taking the time uh, with us. I'm here with Brad Ligman, Brett Colleen. Part of the conversation I want to have with you is you've been in this business for a long time. You just mentioned you were principal at 33. What drives you still? What is it about school? What is it about kids? So I've had two favorite jobs. One was as a teacher, middle school and high school teacher, okay. and one as a principal. Being an assistant principal or vice principal is incredible experience and grunt work. And Mm. you're gonna want to be in alignment with your principal in terms of the vision. Um, But the the teacher role and the principal role are all about implementing a vision. You have the autonomy to lead a Mm. vision and create a culture and ethos um, that you think is going to cause students Mm. to thrive. Yeah. So to the extent that um, I feel like I'm still able to make a difference mm-hmm. in this context, it's, it's one of the greatest jobs you can ever have. You're, mm-hmm. you're working with kids, first and foremost, a staff that spends sometimes more hours than their parents with the kids. Um, yeah, and then your, your clerical staff, your classified team, your parents... Uh, mm-hmm. and your admin team, it's so stimulating. Uh, it, it's never boring. It's always interesting. Mm-hmm. And in all of that, you're, you're trying to move a school forward in alignment with your vision. So to me, I've tried other jobs, and I came back to this because it's so special. When you talk about culture, was that always... Did you always think like that? Because I know Brad obviously talks a lot, thinks a lot about culture. Was that did that evolve over the years? Yes, and it depends on the context. So when I was a, a teacher and an assistant principal and a principal in San Bernardino, uh-huh. the culture was different than the culture that we're uh, working on here. And uh, you mean like the students were different? Or no, school? kids are kids. Yeah. But the context from which they come could mm-hmm. be different. So in that environment, the streets were dangerous. Hmm. And uh, at that time in the uh, mid-90s in San Bernardino, at one point it was the uh, most dangerous city per capita in the United States. Wow. And our district of 50,000 lost about 30 kids one year oh to God. the streets, died. Wow. So... What we were, the culture we were trying to create there was one of mm-hmm. safety and connectivity mm-hmm. so that kids can mm-hmm. come to school, feel safe, focus on things other than their safety, mm-hmm. and be a kid. Mm-hmm. And then one of the goals, sadly, was to uh, connect them with education as a catalyst to get out of the neighborhood so that they can explore the world and make a difference. So mm-hmm. 
that was a culture piece there that we had to address. Whereas here, once I learned the culture around um, you know, high academic achievement mm -hmm. and found the stressors, well then, interestingly enough, some of those cultural aspects that we addressed in San Diego are similar insofar mm -hmm. as we want them to feel balanced. We want them to feel well. Mm -hmm. It's not safe getting, it, they don't have safety issues getting to school unless you look yeah. at how they drive. Right. But it's, uh, so it just depends on the context. Yeah. But culture is, you know, a big part of, uh, I think, happiness and mm -hmm. well-being if done right. When you think about your viewpoint as a principal, what, what are the primary levers that you're pushing and pulling over the course of a year to shape culture, shift culture? So I feel like it's vicarious through my people. Okay. Um, one principal can't set a vision and march out ahead of everybody and not include everyone in that vision mm -hmm. and think that he or she's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's building trust yeah. before you can ever pull any levers. And I'm a strong believer in reverent power, something to which mm. I'll always aspire. Maybe I won't get it, but... Um, the idea that you build strong relationships and trust. Hmm. And through that, you develop, you get input, and you craft a vision that people believe in. Hmm. And then the leverage points, now you have a vision. Well, to actualize a vision, you've got to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. So then you have to be very specific about what are the things we're going to do to actualize that vision. Uh, and so to get leverage, first you have to have people yeah. on board who believe in the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Who shaped your view of leadership? Did you, was this books you read, mentors you had? Um, you are articulate about it, you thoughtful about it? Yeah, so work ethic came from my parents uh -huh. and my dad was an educator. So I always learned the value of hard work. My mom was really good about the affective domain, caring about people. So I think the caring mm -hmm. side of me comes from my mom. Mm -hmm. So obviously my parents uh, really shaped me. But, um, and I've worked with many, many educators whom I've learned from, mm -hmm. uh, Brad being one. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I knew from the very moment I saw him in action and in meetings we had how passionate he was mm -hmm. and is. So passionate. You get red in the face to be so passionate, right? <laughs> uh, and I'd see that, and I was like, that's good, though. He cares. And I wave my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gesticulation. So, um, but you know what? From an early age of teaching swimming lessons, where I got to see how a teacher can give a kid a life skill, or an adult, um, I just loved teaching and being around people and helping them become who they want to be. Yeah. Uh, and trying to mentor people. So hmm. through those growing up and, and all those good people I've been around, I feel like, and being a parent has made me a better educator. I'm a much, I think, mm -hmm. a better educator now. I'd be a better teacher now because I'm a dad. Mm -hmm. Living, Learning sometimes the hard way. Yeah, what do you mean? What, in what ways? Well, when I was a, a newer teacher, I didn't understand from a parent lens 
what it means to raise kids. I couldn't relate. Like if I'm at a parent-teacher conference back then, I wouldn't be right. able to look across the table into their eyes and say, I understand. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Now I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having three of my own kids who are all very different. So I think being a parent is very empowering. Mm -hmm. And being a principal and a parent, I'm able to uh, see kids' needs through the lens of a parent and an educator. I think it's helped me as an educator. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you step back and think about your leadership? Like, what does that look like, kind of cultivating your own leadership? Do you have a coach? Do you read books? Do you listen to podcasts? Like, um, a little bit of, the, of each of those things, but I've always believed that being a reflective practitioner is important. Mm -hmm. If I think back to the mid-90s when I got my admin credential, I remember just a couple things. I remember uh, uh, reflective practitioners in a book uh, mm -hmm. called The Principalship. And that makes sense now, even in the context of teaching, developing as a professional educator. Uh, that each day you go home you're going to think about what you did what you could have done better hmm. what you'll do next time so being reflective I think is, is huge I also remember a chapter in a book by Kuz and Posner called Encouraging hmm. the Heart hmm. and kind of the idea of uh, thinking about people as human beings and connecting with them and supporting them as human beings so I don't really think of students I think of people Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're educating people, not necessarily students. Yeah. And it goes to my hiring philosophy, too. I like to hire people who care more about kids uh -huh. than the subject they teach. Huh. So, um, yeah, so there's just been many influences into who I am and, and what I aspire to be, but I, I always believe it's important to reflect. Yeah. yeah. How do you, what, what do people think about you? As, as a leader, what, what kinds of phrases <laughs> I don't know. Do um, well, it's w weird because I used to be the young guy, <laughs> and now I'm more of the experienced uh -huh, guy, I guess, because really? uh, I started young. So, But I remember being, you know, 30 to 33, mm. kind of rising through the ranks, um, somewhat ambitious, and having to check myself at times, like, you know, you need to calm down a little bit. <laughs> um, and then as I've gotten older and had a variety of experience, I've, I've slowed down and just really appreciated hmm. um, the job I have. It's a gift and the people with whom I work and serve. And I just love it. Hmm. So um, what do people think of me? I think you'd have to ask them. I think people have known me a long time, know that I am reflective, mm -hmm. and um, I do care. Pretty consistent, yeah. Um, and I'm the same guy, mm. pretty much at my core day after yeah. day. Yeah. So I've been told that um, uh, that I'm unflappable, mm. but as I've gotten older, I actually realize I'm I'm a little more vulnerable, mm. and I cry a little bit more. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, uh, what sorts of things? Um, anything involving stressors related to kids at risk. Yeah. Those are really poignant moments for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I've learned that it's okay to be vulnerable in front of your team. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it shows you're a human being. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed that though, mm-hmm. as I've gotten uh, a little older and had a few more experience, I'm actually a little more open to being vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about your vision. First, like, how do you describe what you hope kids become like when they graduate? What's, and now I'm curious how you got there. Yeah. So when I first came to this school, uh, I knew this was a fantastic school. I knew that uh, there was a lot of high achievement. I knew yeah. that we had a really inclusive culture. And I knew with rapid growth, we wanted to hang on to and nurture the things that made this school special in the beginning where it felt small and connected, mm-hmm. which was a battle when you're going 200 kids a school year mm-hmm. for a long period of time. Yeah. But it took me a year at least to get acclimated and get to know people mm-hmm. and talk to people. So, uh, so my second year here, we got a group of people together representing students, staff, parents, classified, certificated, and began to talk about where we want to go, how we want to get there, and how we want to treat each other, which mm-hmm. to me are the, the phrases uh, which lead to a vision, mission, and values. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of surveying. Um, we created a committee called the ex- uh, an exploratory committee. And um, at the end of it, I was so proud of this community and coming up with a new reset on our vision, our, mm-hmm. our mission, and our values. So the exciting part of that, talk about leverage, is now we could look at our school plan for student achievement and make sure mm-hmm. that all of those actions and tasks support those words, or mm-hmm. they're just words. Yeah. Um, so. What we want, in short, here is that kids can be kids. Mm. We want them to develop as a human being. We want them to have a skill set that's going to translate well beyond high school and in life so that they know what to do if they're struggling. Mm. We want them to go down pathways to enrich their experiences, not merely take more AP classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want to do things to make them... uh, have caring adults in their court, which is how mm-hmm. Homeroom came to be, yeah. as a place for connectivity. And we use words like um, you know, creative, confident, accepting, mm-hmm. empathy, gratitude, innovation, weirdness meaning just be you, mm-hmm. and it should be safe to be you. And I'm just super excited to see a lot of effort on behalf of this team to achieve that those goals. Mm. What um, what gets in your way? What are the big challenges to seeing the vision actualized? What are the big like boulders you're pushing on? Or? You just have to be patient. Um, I've always one could also describe me as strategic, mm-hmm. and so I've always had uh, a bit of an ability to look at the future and then backwards map that Mm. and know that it's going to take a certain number of years to do it. So where some people may think what's taken so long, I kind of know that I can predict the barriers. Yeah. And one is change. You move something (laughs) one millimeter (laughs) in someone's professional life, they might get upset. So if you, if you've got a, 
you know, staff of 125 and a, and a 2,500 kids and all their parents, uh, yeah. if you do not include them in big things, you're going to get resistance. Mm-hmm. And so it just takes time to map it out and collaborate and put structures in place to achieve the goal. For example, if I wanted to see homeroom, there's no way in the world I could just implement that. Mm-hmm. So we created that exploratory homeroom committee with representation from every department mm-hmm. on campus and kids and parents. And we kept surveying, kept surveying and, and listening and then crafting something that we felt um, would have broad support. And then mm-hmm. when it came to sell it, it wasn't a vote. We stood in front of the staff and I was not alone. Yeah. I had about 15 people up there with me and all answering questions. I thought that was uh, mm-hmm. one of my prouder moments. Yeah. It almost chokes me up. Because yeah. um, it, it happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Collaborative mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't do it alone. Right. And, and embrace your, t- your all of those voices. So And then as you know, because yeah. you've been there, Scott, that feedback loop continues. Yes. Uh, constantly yeah. to, to make sure everyone knows that it's still not just one person. Yeah, my I get to work with a bunch of different schools, a bunch of different leaders, and it's uh, I've certainly seen that in you, that it's natural for you to have the feedback loop. Um, I've just noticed in some others, it they have to be recalled like remember remember you got to go listen remember you got to create systems to hear that this just seems to be like a normal thing that you do yeah you well you kind of laid out you predict um even if you get a big initiative how are we going to keep the energy behind this yeah because you know it's going to change people are going to have feelings all right you you disarm it by Mm -hmm. building in those structures that's why there's that wellness team it's why there's the raven advisory board Mm -hmm. it's why there's the uh, homeroom committee now that has mm-hmm. representation from every single um, department and kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just you just need to put those structures in place to keep the conversation going. So yeah. we all remember this is a team. Right. This is what we right. said we were going to do. If we're going to make changes, we're going to do those changes yeah. together. So um, how do you describe that? And I'm curious for you too, Brad. Is mm-hmm. is this leadership as art? Is this is this a conductor? Like, is there a metaphor you think of? I always, the one I always use is wind-up toys. <laughs> you have like a hundred of them and they're all kind of, some are not moving, some go in the wrong direction. And the art of you know, leadership and culture is drawing near, winding up, setting the right path, go on to the next one. But you have to circle back and yeah. make sure you get it on the same pace. You know, if I can interject right here, listening to Brett and anybody who's listening to Brett's listening to a truly gifted mm. educator, truly gifted uh, principal and educational leader. Mm-hmm. And I use the word gift mm. specifically because to you, Brett, um, you don't naturally see this as a job. You see it as a calling, mm. which is, and I had to smile when you said one of the two <laughs> best jobs I ever had. <laughs> I gave the same answer. Yeah, I got to be a teacher. And yeah. I never expected to be a teacher, but I got to be a teacher and there were times I go there paying me to do this. Yeah. It was a hard job. Mm-hmm. And then the principal, they're paying me to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see that in you, Brett, and it's your it's your you're so well grounded, your value system is in place. I think a lot of aspiring mm-hmm. 
school leaders, well, they do it for different reasons why we move up, mm -hmm. you know, into management and leadership. All sorts of different reasons. But at the core, it's your love of what occurs here. Hmm. And it's not a stepping stone to something else. It's because for some reason, Brett, you love being around kids and teachers and the people that support kids and teachers. Yeah. And, um, and Scott, you say, how many books did you read? I mean, <laughs> I, I was waiting for Brett's answer. I sort of figured out, Brett didn't have to read a lot of right. books. Yeah. And you've asked me this before, and yep. I think I could say I've read about three <laughs> or four. That's funny. You know, and usually when I read those books, I go, oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, but that's, works. Yeah, yeah. But they reflect, um, I think Brett and I share a philosophy of leadership, and I call it servant leadership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're here to serve. Mm -hmm. We're, and we, and we mm -hmm. get to do that. Mm -hmm. We actually get to do that. And Brett, to his credit, he made a choice to go from a you know, a higher paying job because he missed being a principal. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of vision and, and, and values, it comes from the heart. Mm -hmm. It comes from we're in the people business. We're not in the results business. Right. First, mm -hmm. the results accrue because we understand something about human beings. Mm -hmm. And we try to bring out the best in human beings and culture, I, I know Brett would agree. Culture is about it's about creating an environment so human beings can thrive. Yeah, mm. exactly. And then we can establish vision as expectations of what that looks like and create teams and all the stuff that Brett does. I think at the heart, it's like what is a thriving human being, and um, it means we're we're challenged and we're loved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're challenged and we're cared for. And um, I keep coming back to it's not rocket science. We challenge and we care. Um, then it's about patience and mm -hmm. perseverance and uh, all the other skills about mm -hmm. humility. You right. know, we can't take ourselves too seriously. No. Um, Humor. <laughs> that is correct. In this, if you want to call it a line of work, and I don't, but. Humor uh, oh, helps you a lot. We, yeah. we have to joke. We have yeah. to create a, an environment in a front office of a high school with just light <laughs> and yeah. we have fun. Yeah, we right. do. Because, you know, whether it's San Bernardino or San Diego or mm -hmm. San Marcos or Southeast San Diego, there's always going to be trauma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The stressors are there. You can't be around 2,500 teenagers and all your parents <laughs> yeah. without... If you have a heart. Yeah. And we do cry. We do weep. And then we get back on and we... Um, so, anyway. I think of one of the things that's gotten easier over the years, too, is, you know, the job requires you to be an effective communicator mm -hmm. in a variety of contexts. That's easy when you have conviction. Mm. I've found yeah. public speaking, for example, is scary to some. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy. Yeah. Because... You're just speaking from the heart. Right. Mm. That is so easy, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And um, if you have conviction. Mm -hmm. So when I'm like mentoring new administrators, I'm trying to get them to that comfort level mm -hmm. of speak with conviction. Yeah. And you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. uh, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. and, and what's it take to speak from conviction? What does that take? Well, you mentioned it earlier, Brad, values. Um, mm. 
really just being caring, sometimes a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing, to me, where, where we need to go together mm-hmm. and how we're going to get there together, using we, mm-hmm. pronoun we instead of I. Mm-hmm. So I found in that line as a, as a leader of teams that that work on creating that conviction, that act of will, that, that belief, takes cultivating, as you say, as you're working with. It takes, it takes a lot of asking for self-reflection of what's important and why. And let's keep on focusing, make the big thing the big thing. Yeah. We as school site administrators can get drawn in a thousand directions real fast. We're not grounded. The big thing is the big thing. And aspiring administrators sometimes struggle with what is the big thing. And um, so I think it's incumbent upon leaders to um, help cultivate those kinds of values and conversations. To that point, uh, when I was an assistant superintendent, I worked with a really smart superintendent. I really wanted to work with him. He was good. Uh, He met with his associate superintendents monthly. Hmm. And it was just about you huh. and supporting you. And I, I cool. took that great idea from him, and I do meet with my APs every month mm-hmm. privately. And we just talk about their professional development, hmm. what's on their mind, what do they need. Hmm. It is cultivating and always trying to help them grow. I've also tried to not always have to be the guy in the limelight because, mm-hmm. right. you know, give give it to them right. uh, let them they can do it hmm. so they shouldn't just be always you know supporting you give them some autonomy like any normal human being wants yeah. <laughs> and let them grow mm-hmm. it's not just your APs my secretary has incredible autonomy yeah. she's very bright and gifted mm-hmm. and fantastic I learned mm-hmm. from her mm-hmm. but you have to remember as a leader to your cultivation point to step back a little bit and let others mm-hmm. uh, I did have one professor at UC Riverside who, uh, her name was uh, Professor uh, Flora Ida, I can't remember her last name, right this second, but she said, she gave a metaphor that I really liked, well, actually it's a simile. She said, uh, being a good leader is like rain falling in the desert that yields beautiful flowers. So, uh, gentle rain, she said. So, over time, the desert will bloom. You don't have to, and her point was, mm. you don't have to be front and center, showy all the time. Cultivate mm. this gradually, and it will bloom amazingly well. Mm. And that did st- stick with me uh, because that made a lot of sense. Just keep showing it love, mm. it will grow. Um, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> I didn't have that professor. So yeah. early, early couple years as a principal, I, I was too like, I had higher expectations of what could happen in a shorter amount of yeah, time. Yeah. And I ran into the school of hard knocks and, and I learned <laughs> As through we have all. some mentoring, Brad, just relax. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the desert's going to still look yeah. like a desert for a while yeah. through yes. January, February, March, yeah. you know, whatever. So yeah. one thing I discovered, yeah. and I, I think I did this a lot, but I, I named it later, was if I can, with the people I work closely with, if I can know their hopes and anxieties, Hmm. I can actually know their hopes and anxieties and have a relationship with the people I work with mm-hmm. whereby they can feel they can share both their hopes and anxieties. It helps me as a leader hmm. assist them 
in uh, realizing the hopes and managing anxieties, which can sometimes be debilitating if they're left unchecked. And in teams, if we know that about one another, and that it's like you say, I can step back and listen and help another person reflect. And, um, and that can be a very encouraging process. Right. Good point. Where does your where do you think your passion comes out? How does it manifest? Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I move. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time. Uh, let's, hold on a sec, Scott. So how does my passion <laughs> manifest? So, what ways would people mm-hmm. see you as a passionate person? You're where you're wearing it out there for. You're wearing your emotions or your values out there. I think when I'm celebrating people, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. hopefully they see how proud I am uh-huh. of them. Mm-hmm. My whole Twitter account is nothing but celebrations pretty much of mm-hmm. other people. Because we need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and in, in our staff meetings, mm-hmm. you know, I always try to celebrate people. Uh, and there's a lot to celebrate. I mean, mm-hmm. each person on this campus is trying to do what each of us trying to make a difference. So yeah. that's a lot to that's celebrate. Lot celebrate yeah. and this is a very talented and gifted staff. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, and a lot of what I do, I feel like it's, uh, we say yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ideas that come my way, it's about getting to yes mm-hmm. and supporting them with that, uh, passionately supporting them with that. So I don't know, my, my passion manifests in different ways. At the soccer game the other day <laughs> halftime some of the kids ran out there and were shooting goals on half so I went out there and did it with them yes. I mean yeah. just play <laughs> right uh, with them yeah. but I think where you see my passion it's always going to be celebrating what's happening here what we're working toward hmm. you know with conviction so um, and then I think I bring an energy to it that people will notice is very committed mm-hmm. So, yeah. Let me ask you, Brett, because you were in a position before you came back to being principal where you actually hired principals. Yeah. Um, And I was too. Mm -hmm. So, if there are people listening here who are assistant principals or aspiring principals, what would be the one or two things that would strike you the most of what you would want to hear from them if Mm -hmm. you asked them? Why do you want to be a principal? You ask them the question, and all the interview questions, but fundamentally, let's cut to the chase. Why do you want to be a a high school principal? Right. Yeah. And it's a very what would you look for question, and often coupled with how are you, how would you be a good fit? Now, even before we get to the good fit, which gets to skills, I'm interested in what we look for, the motivation for why you would want such a challenging position. (laughs) Yes. What would you look for? What would you want to hear? Uh-huh. So what I want to hear is somebody who talks about people, not even instruction, uh, because mm-hmm. instructional strategies come and go. Achievement is something we always work on. Mm-hmm. Data is a tool, but it isn't who you are. Um, and interestingly enough, Brad, I ran into an influential uh, principal back in Riverside at one time, and he told me, uh, a principal is what I do, but it's not who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really like his name is yeah. Dave, and he's yeah. now their superintendent. But I like the idea, I, you can tell if somebody's a good person 
And if you're going to lead, you better have integrity. You better have a strong history of doing your darndest to care about people and make a difference. So I'm more interested in the personal qualities uh, than you know, the initiative that they want to talk about. Uh, so I'm looking for somebody with integrity, with conviction, with a desire to help people, not just students, and somebody who uses the pronoun we in approaching schooling. Those are the main things I'm yeah. looking for. And a sense of humor, certainly, because that's a coping <laughs> thing. Because um, all that stuff you can check. By the time somebody is about to be a principal, they have a work history. Yeah. And you can check that. So the best indicator of future success is what has that person done in the past? Mm-hmm. It's also why I'll caution kind of young upstarts to slow down. Mm-hmm. What's the rush? Uh, be a teacher for as long as you love that. If you're going to be an assistant principal, make sure you're well-rounded and mm-hmm. you learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in high school, that takes a number of years yeah. to actually learn all those functions and have experience leading in all those areas. Uh, because what's the rush? Mm-hmm. We want you to be good at what you do to the benefit of kids and community. So slow down, make it about we instead of you. Mm-hmm. If you're truly trying to make a difference, then that's how it ought to be. Last question. If, if you all, so it's like the, the Bosotros here. Oh, you all, oh okay. <laughs> your side, we feel kind of um, answer this in your own voice, but if we're wildly successful in the next few years here, what, what will be different? What will kids be like? What will, what will they get? What, what do you imagine? Okay. If we actualize our vision, mission, and values, then we are going to have... Um, for each student, they're going to have an outlet to be creative. They're going to feel confident and competent mm. in the things that they do. They're going to be a, a contributor to this accepting culture. Mm. They're going to, on a 4 by 4 schedule, which can be intense, choose classes that are in their own best interest not taking a bunch of AP classes because everybody tells them they need to do that. So they're gonna have the power, autonomy, courage, support to do that. Because the original intent of the four by four with eight classes in a year, update class, is to actually um, go down a pathway of enrichment. Right. But too many kids are not doing that. They're just taking things that they think um, prestigious schools are gonna wanna see. So I want them to take, have, have the ability to take ownership of their own lives. And our goal one in our school plan for student achievement has to do with reaching their individual potential. Mm-hmm. So that's being selfish. Yeah. Because it's the right thing for that student mm-hmm. and not having somebody else create their experience for them, which isn't going to make them happy. Yeah. And I want them to have a skill set to deal with adversity because life does have adversity mm. and come out on the other side of that okay. Mm. Rick, do you believe that there's consensus about achieving that vision here at Canyon Crest? I believe most of our team wants to see that happen, yes. I wouldn't have known that if we didn't go through all these collaborations mm. on our vision, mission, values. But having done that 
and seeing some things in place that are trying to actualize that. I believe we're wholly committed to that, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I feel really good about that. I'm a small part of that, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. <laughs> small but mighty. Uh, <laughs> uh, so thank you, thanks for your partnership, thanks for the time. Now your time is extremely valuable, so we're so grateful for you. And I feel like part of the work we get to do with you school is, is share with other principals how you do stuff. I find myself talking about you quite often, you know, what Brett does or the way CCA has been doing it. Um, not that they're ripping off because this is the, uh, the high-achieving school because it's the right kind of stuff to do for kids. So thank you for that. Well, Scott, you also raise a, a good uh, point in that you know when we had these ideas to achieve things, we realized we couldn't do it alone. Mm -hmm. And so reaching out uh, to you know gifted resources like you school has mm -hmm. helped us because sometimes it's really healthy to have facilitators and expertise outside your little world who mm -hmm. might uh, have a perspective yeah. you didn't consider. Yeah. But you also have gotten to know our context. Yeah. And so the services you provide can be customized mm -hmm. to what our needs are here. And yeah. I'm sure it's going to be different by school. Right. So that's why the fit has worked well. Thank you. Got it. There's no doubt that you've sat through professional development workshops that were a waste of your time. Irrelevant, poorly delivered, just wasn't helpful. Well, we have a series of workshops that don't stink. <laughs> why? Because number one, they're relevant. Number two, they're delivered in a format that can actually help you learn through case studies and role plays. It's called For the Sake of Kids Training, a series of seven workshops that we can deliver live by one of our trainers or through digital webinar format. It's all available to you at theuschool.com forward slash professional development. Go to our website, learn more about what we offer in live format or digital format, and get in touch with us today so that the entire staff can have the competency and the skills that they need for the sake of kids.